Well, you may have seen this picture before. It's of John F. Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States. Uh, it's at his desk in the Oval Office, but of course, that's not why it's a famous picture. Uh, if you can see down there, uh, underneath the table, poking his little head out, there's John Jr., John F. Kennedy Jr., uh, poking his head out of the secret door at the bottom of the desk. It's a great picture, isn't it? It's uh, this picture of the most powerful man in the world, and yet uh, you had to get so many clearance checks just to see the guy, right? And yet here's his son. No one's going to ask John Jr. for his ID. He can, he can just run into the Oval Office, start playing, start playing hide-and-seek under his dad's desk. Well, JFK is one of the most public figures of the 20th century. You know, there's been libraries of books worth have written about him. Lots of people know a lot about JFK. Uh, there's some facts that you can research. There's lots of, there's lots of speculation about him. Uh, but it doesn't matter how many facts you know about him. You, you can dedicate your life to studying him. But you'll never know him like his son did. John Jr. had a totally different kind of knowledge about his, his dad. He, he didn't just know stuff about him. Uh, he knew him personally. And this difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone, personally being in their family, in an active relationship with them, well, uh, that's what we're going to look at today. See, there's so much thought and research and debate about JFK, but that pales into insignificance compared to the thought and research and debate that's gone into the whole question of God, who he is, what he's like, uh, how can we know him? So there's a few options when it comes to finding out this kind of knowledge. We might be able to get some kind of sketchy truths from the world around us, uh, you know, the sort of knowledge you might have of JFK if you just uh, read a few books uh, you might be able to get some sketchy truths about God uh, from the world around us. That you know that there's, there is a Creator who designed a stunningly intricate world that all fits together incredibly. On the other hand, we might you know, sort of go the other, uh, the other alternative, the other route, the other extreme, and we might reject the claim that there's a God at all. That uh, you know that uh, we might think that this world is all that there is. Uh, others, though, others might like to speculate, to kind of work our way up from ourselves, to think about the highest values of humanity. Uh, and we, we kind of project that God is some perfect version of all these human virtues. My friends, what, is, what does all this have in common? In this sort of desire to know about God, if there is a God, to know him, what do, what do they all have in common? In the end, they all come down to us. They're all us trying to kind of work our way up to God, trying to speculate about his existence or his non-existence, who he is or he isn't, uh, and about how we should live in the light of all of that. But friends, when we turn to John's Gospel, which we, we've just read through, this first opening passage of John's Gospel, when we turn there, we see the most stunning claim there is one who is in the closest relationship to God, one who has intimate knowledge of God, not the kind of you know the kind of detached academic knowledge that you might have about someone, but the full personal knowledge 
of a son, and not just any son. This is the eternal son of the Father, who has always been in a perfect relationship of love. And it, this, this one sort of image that we get here, of this relationship between this son and his father, it cuts through all our speculation, all our debate, all our other you know, words about God. He, this one doesn't just add a few words in the long history of human discussion, right, about God and, and his existence. He claims not just to bring just one more word, one more book on the library shelf. This one comes and claims to be the word, the full, final word about God, who God is, about what he's like, about what his plans are. It is a stunning claim. But friends, maybe for you it's also at the same time an offensive claim. Maybe for you the thought that anyone could have this kind of definitive knowledge. Maybe that is in itself an offensive kind of claim. Everyone's word, right, is as good as anyone else's. Well, if that's you, please do stick with us. Please hear this, this word out. It's not a word like any other word. It is a word that is full of hope for a hopeless world, full of life for a dying world. As we just read, it's a word that is full of grace and truth. You see, friends, the incredible claim of John goes even deeper, even deeper. It's not just that there is a definitive, a perfect word about who God is. Uh, this isn't just a word for its own sake. It's not just some sort of way we can get more information this word is given not just for information, but for transformation. Not just so that we might know stuff about God, but that we might know Him. That we might be in an active, a real relationship with Him. Not just the relationship, you know, of if you, if you imagine uh, back in JFK's office, not just the kind of relationship of a staff member or, or even a cabinet member or even, you know, even the chief of staff, but the relationship of a, of a son, of a daughter, to know God in this intimate, personal, incredible way. So if you have your Bibles open, that'll really help as we do walk through this amazing passage from John chapter 1. Uh, and and if, you, if you have it open there, you'll see that it, the, the passage all starts with this with this phrase, uh, John chapter 1, right from the beginning there, it says, in the beginning. Uh, and, and if you sort of are familiar with the Bible, the, the Bible story, this should ring all sorts of bells, right? It's picking up, of course, on the language that's used right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1. Uh, and as you read through this, uh, this, this passage in John, it, it has all these sorts of parallels and allusions to that chapter in Genesis 1 that talked about the creation of all things. Here in John 1, we hear this talk about uh, God's word by which he created everything. This talk about light and life and darkness. All of this, all these sort of allusions back to Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of all things in the Bible's story. It all raises our expectations as we come to this Gospel of John, this, this story of Jesus and who he is and what he's here for. 
all of these links back to Genesis 1, they, they raise our expectations. The, the effect of what John does here is to say that what we're talking about here, what John's telling us here, is as big a moment as what Genesis 1 was talking about. What, what John's talking about here is as big a thing as the creation of all things. There are two defining moments in the history of everything, right? The creation of everything by the word that we read about in Genesis 1. And John says, now, well, let's read on to find out, to discover this and explore it. John says, in the beginning was the word. Now, if you, uh, you know, the readers of this, the first readers of this would have expected probably to hear the familiar words from Genesis, in the beginning was God, in the beginning God created. But instead here we have this, in the beginning was the Word. And it kind of makes sense, right? Uh, our words are a kind of an extension of ourselves. Um, if, you know, it's a really hot day today. Uh, my words don't create anything, right? If they did, I'd probably say uh, something like, uh, ice cream up here, right? And, and, and imagine you're surprised if all of a sudden, you know, right in front of you, uh, there's an ice cream in my hand. Uh, that's not going to happen, uh, you know. Uh, but but how, the more powerful we get, the more sort of influence we have, the more our words kind of do something similar to this idea about God's word creating everything, right? Um, uh, if I were someone like Oprah, right? <laughs> Uh, you know, on one level has lots of influence and power. And, and if I was here and I started saying, uh, and you get an ice cream, and you get, everyone gets an ice cream, everyone cheers, uh, suddenly ice creams would appear, as if from nowhere, right? But of course, they wouldn't appear from nowhere. And that's exactly the point, right? Uh, they wouldn't appear from nowhere. They, they would have been organised beforehand, and all of Oprah's sort of staff members would be secretly hiding them and bringing them out just the right moment for effect. But, but no one's words create something out of nothing. It's fundamentally different with God. His word is such, a, such an extension of his self that it creates out of nothing. God acts through his word. What he says, what he says happens. Well, this word, word, in the beginning was the word, it also, uh, as well as all of that sort of Genesis 1 background, it, it would have had a special meaning in the culture it was written to, this, this, letter, this gospel was written to. See, for the ancient Greeks, this word, the word, uh, the, the Greek kind of word was logos, where we get our word logic from. This, and for the ancient Greeks, this logos, this word, was... This grand principle, this universal theory that underlay everything, underlying everything. And for them, if you get in touch with this, this principle, this theory, uh, you, get, you get in touch with it and you kind of line your life up with it, then you'll find true meaning. Well, John says, you're, you're looking for this word, this logos, and, and John's saying to them, well, maybe, but... The word you're looking for, it's not some kind of abstract principle, right? It's not some grand principle underlying everything. It's not a principle. It's a person. 
The Word is a person. And John says, I'm going to introduce him to you. In the beginning was the Word. And as you read through John 1, these first five verses, you just see how supreme this Word is. How supreme this Word is. Now John goes on and says, he, this Word was with God and, and not just that, was God himself. This word, and he explains this in verse 18, right down at the bottom of your passage, if you can see it there. This word was with God in eternity, who was himself God. This word is the one and only Son, who is himself God, and who is in the closest relationship with the Father. Friends, this is an utterly unique vision of God, what theologians have called the, have called the Trinity. Three persons in one God. God is this relationship of love, an eternal relationship of Father and Son. And John will go on later in his Gospel to talk about this, the third member of this eternal family, the Holy Spirit. This is the loving union of three, the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity isn't so important. It is significant. But its meaning, what it means for us is incredible. It means that at the heart of God... At the heart of God is a relationship of love. It means that relationships have eternal significance. It means that at the bottom of the universe, friends, at the bottom of the universe isn't just blind, in, uh, blind um, indifference, blind pitiless indifference. At the bottom of the universe is love, the eternal perfect love of the Father and Son in the bond of the Spirit. And the whole point of that, friends, the whole point of that is this word that was in the beginning, that was with God, that was God, he's, he's in this family of love. He is the supreme word. And tying into what, how, where we started, he is the only one, the only one qualified to speak with authority about God about who God is. Uh, he is God the Son, who perfectly re reveals God the Father. Oh, what, a, what an incredible picture, John. Just in these first few verses of his Gospel, he's painted for us about this word, right? But do you notice as you read through, the, the word that, uh, that John writes about here, this word, this supreme word, uh, it doesn't just come out of thin air. It doesn't just sort of suddenly appear. He writes, uh, he goes on to say in verse 6 to 8, and then later on also talks about how this word is, is it's been witnessed to. V verse 6 says, God sent John as a witness. Now, there's, you've got to be careful as you read through John's Gospel. There's sort of Johns that pop up everywhere. There's two Johns going on here, right? There's one who wrote the Gospel, and this other John that gets talked about here in verse 6 is the guy that we know as John the Baptist. Uh, that's not because he belonged to a Baptist church, just want to sort of clear that out. It just, it's just because he <laughs> he did a lot of baptisms, right? He, he performed a lot of baptisms, and we'll look a bit more of that next week. Um, John was Jesus' cousin, right? And he was a big deal, right? He was the superstar preacher of his day. You know, this place would be absolutely packed out if he was here. People came in droves to hear him. Uh, in one of the other Gospels, um, now, one of the other accounts of Jesus' life, Jesus calls him the greatest of all prophets. 
as I said, we'll hear more about him next week. But he, John, as he comes here in chapter 1 of John's Gospel, he sort of represents all of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, he comes as the last of a long line of these proclaimers, these heralds who were sent by God, sent by God to shout out God's plans, to warn people not to turn away from God. The prophet's message had gathered momentum all through the history of God's relationship with his people Israel, and, and they'd all sort of been focused in on this guy, John the Baptist. And do you see what this is saying here? It's a huge claim. Behind Jesus, before he came, the, the whole weight of the Jewish scriptures, the whole story of the Old Testament of the Bible is summed up here in John's testimony, his witness to him. But it's not just witnesses who came before who kind of pointed forward to this coming word, this coming one. You notice as we, uh, uh, later on in this passage, in verse 14, it's also witnesses pointing back to this word, witnesses who have seen him and point back to him. Verse 14, John writes, We have seen, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see what this is saying, friends? There is a huge weight of witness to this one. John the Baptist and the prophets before him all sort of pointing forward, and John the Apostle and the other apostles with him all pointing back, everyone witnessing to this word. It's just so important. Uh, friends, it, it sets, it's so important, and it sets Christianity apart from every other religion. It sets Christianity apart from every other sort of belief system. Do you see what this means? It means that Christianity is uniquely, uniquely anchored in historical witness to actual events. It's witness to a person, to this word who claimed to reveal God and who claimed to be God himself come into the world to save us. You see, there are other claims to have, of course, there are other claims, right, to have the word, other claims to have the word about God and life. All of them are totally different to this claim. You see, this word isn't just some sort of book that fell out of the sky to one person, uh, kind of like the Quran is or the Book of Mormon. Uh, it's not just a word of moral instruction either that's sort of given to enlightened ones, uh, like the, the religious texts of other uh, Eastern religions. Or, do, all of, do you see what all of those uh, have in common? They're all kind of abstract, right? They're not grounded in history. They teach ideas about God. But this word, this word is fundamentally different. It's not an abstraction. <laughs> It's not principles. It's not principles. It's a person. The Bible isn't a collection of abstract truths. The Bible is the witness to this historical person, this word. So we have this supreme word that's been witnessed to with this whole weight of Old Testament and, and pointing forward and of the apostles pointing back. Anchored in history, the word, not a speculation, but a historical person. But do you see there in verse 9, as you read through, 
there's a problem, right? It's already flagged for us in verse 5 earlier when um, John talks about the darkness, this, this word who is the light, who shines in the darkness. In verse 9 he fills that out. Uh, he says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It's supposed to shock us to hear that, friends. It's, we're, we're supposed to feel the kind of jarring of this offense. God the Creator makes himself known. And humanity says we're not interested. We, we don't care. We'd rather not know. We don't want to hear what you've got to say. And friends, maybe you're here today listening in, and maybe you're listening in online, and, and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus. Or maybe, on the other hand, you do sort of identify as a Christian, but you don't, you can't really, uh, you find yourself not really believing that Jesus is the one exclusive word, the full and authoritative word with revelation about who God is. Friends, if that's you, I just invite you, can, can you see that if this is true, if there is a word, not just a word, but the word about God, and if this word came to the world, if it was witnessed by prophets and apostles, if it, if it entered to its world, the world that he created, and then was rejected by it, can you see how this is shocking? If it's true, it's very serious. It means, friends, it means Jesus can never be an optional, extra kind of lifestyle option. He is my creator. He sets the agenda, not me. It is a shock, this, what happens in verse 9. But if it's a shock, that this word is rejected, what comes next is even a bigger shock. The light, we read it earlier, and the light wasn't overcome by this dark. How would you? I mean, how would you expect God to react to this? Right, this, this word, this full final word about Himself entering His world, only to be rejected by it. How would God? You know, how would you react? I reckon I know how I'd react. I, you know, I kind of turn into Grumpy Dad straight away. You know, like, I'd, I'd be offended. I'd, how dare you? I'd be indignant about what's going on. Well, friends, who could expect? Who could expect what comes next? This supreme word, witnessed to by prophets and apostles, rejected by his own creation, this word speaks to rebels like you and like me. He speaks to us an incredible word of adoption. He's not only the supreme word and the rejected word, he is the adopting word. Verse 12 Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Friends, do you see what this is saying? This son in the closest relationship to his father, this word brings everyone who receives him, he brings us into that family. Not because we choose it, not because we earn it, 
not because of anything in ourselves, but only because of His grace, of His undeserved kindness. And can you see why verse 16, if you have there open in front of you, can you see why verse 16 just makes sense now? Verse 16 says, Out out of His fullness. John, as as he writes this, sort of overflows at this point. He overflows because he knows that God has overflowed to him. See what he writes? Out out of His fullness, the fullness of this supreme word overflowing into our lives, out of His fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. The Old Testament revelation of God and the law of Moses John writes, was a gracious gift. But here is something far greater, far richer, something that that, that, that that gift was always pointing to and witnessing to, the grace and truth that has come through Jesus Christ. And friend, we're left with one final question. How can all this happen? How can people who have cut themselves off from God, how we don't want this word, how can they incredibly, wonderfully adopted into God's family. How can they know God? Not just know stuff about Him, but know Him personally as their Father. Well, on one level, that's really what the rest of this book, this uh, Gospel of John, this account of Jesus' life, that's really what the rest of the book is all about. So stick around. We're going to be reading for it slowly over the next couple of years in chunks. Um, But John gives a a really powerful first summary of it here in verse 14. Verse 14, John writes, This word, the word, how does this happen? This wonderful adoption. Verse 14, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We're leading up to Christmas, friends, and this is the whole point of Christmas. The Word, this supreme Word, became flesh. But what does that mean? He became soft. The Word became touchable, seeable, grabbable, right there, historical. But not just that. See what else it means? The Word became vulnerable, hurtable. Maybe have you heard that self-defense advice? I don't know if you've heard it. Sometimes you get this advice that, you know, particularly if you're a young woman, if you're walking down a dark alley and someone comes and tries to attack you, right? Have you heard that this advice? Don't cry out, help, because no one's going to come and help. What you do is you you cry out. You don't cry out, help. You cry out, fire. That'll get people out of the building, right? You've got all those people looking up above you. And so the advice goes, don't cry out help. You cry out fire. That'll get people running out of their buildings. So what's going on there, this, this advice that sometimes you get you hear? It's kind of disturbing, right? For someone, uh, what's behind it? For someone to come down, to, to hear that cry for help, and to come down out of their safe building... For someone to come down, makes it makes makes them vulnerable, right? It means that they might get hurt. It means that they even might get killed. 
Did you see how incredibly different this is here in John? Christmas is the story of this word, Jesus Christ, who heard our cries for help and did come down. Not just knowing that he might get hurt, right? He might be killed. But knowing that he would be killed, he made himself fleshy, vulnerable, killable. And that's, friends, why Christmas always leads to Easter. The Word became fleshy, dwelled among us, and was killed for us to bring us into this family of God so that we might know God, not just stuff about God, but know Him personally, personally in the face of Jesus Christ. That comes as grace upon grace, grace upon grace. So we have this Word, friends, this Word, but we need to hear today this word. My friends, uh, this word is so important, isn't it? The Christian gospel declares to us that we're not just interested in some kind of philosophical pub chat about who God might be or might not be. It's not interested in speculation about God. The Christian gospel is all about not just God in theory or non-God in theory. The Christian God gospel is all about the Jesus God. The Jesus God. One, uh, one writer, one author tells the story of an Iranian woman that he knows. And, uh, in Iran, she'd gotten a hold of a copy of the gospels. There's stories of Jesus. She, she read and read and read. The more she read, she began to think, here's a God I can believe to. She, he writes, she was thrilled by the prospect that God might that God might be like Jesus. And she came to England to learn all she could about the Bible. And after sort of studying for years, she, she made this conclusion. God cannot be like, God cannot be the God of the Ayatollahs. He must be the Jesus God. You see what is what's happening there? Jesus gives us something unique, someone unique, an ultimate reality that has come down, has heard our cries, and has come down. Believing in some kind of divinity in general, in some kind of God abstract, it doesn't have this. And kind of formal religion where God is aloof and ultimately unknowable doesn't exist. But not with Jesus. Jesus reveals the highest God who has come not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for him. That is the word that we hear. That is the word that is grace upon grace given to us. That's the word that we Receive and by receiving have life in His name. Will you receive that word? Let's pray together. Friends. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we pray. We pray that we might hear the word that You have given to us. Lord, You have come into this earth in the person of Your Son, the full and final word about who You are. May we hear You, Lord Jesus. And we hear and we pray that in your name.
Amen.